Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Last Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? This is going to be kind of a double. This episode has double meaning. This is technically our first Syracuse lacrosse podcast episode number one, but because it's the fall, I kind of don't want to ditch talking about some other games in the process, so this is going to double. This is going to act as episode number one of the Syracuse Lacrosse podcast, and we are going to talk about Denver versus Syracuse at Cortland, but this is also going to be episode 53, 54, whichever we are at uh, for the Lax Factor podcast as well, because I do want to talk about um, fall ball stuff. So we're going to meld these things together. Also, coming out either tomorrow or Friday, I talked to Paul Carcaterra, P. Carc himself, uh, did a quick phone interview with Carcaterra. So I will put that out in the next day or so. I think tomorrow's Thursday. So let's say I'm going to put that out tomorrow for you guys. So be sure to come back and check that out. But I wanted to get these, the Syracuse Denver scrimmage stuff up because I have highlights that I'm going to show you now. Uh, so let's get talking about that. And then we're going to get talking about fall ball in general, a couple of other games and events that went down. So two legendary coaches, they decide to get together and play a fall scrimmage at SUNY Cortland of all places. And SUNY Cortland, I'm going to start rolling stuff now. Beautiful Division Three facility and um, just a great place to have an event like this. Denver came in earlier in the day and did a clinic for the area kids, and that was apparently well attended. And uh, the Denver team and coaching staff did a great job for that. Packed house, though, for the 7.30 face-off, so that was also good to see. One of the best D3 stadiums in the country. It's just about a Division I facility. You could probably call it that. Great to see number 22 take the field for Syracuse as well with Chase Scanlon getting the start as attack. And as expected, Rafis played attack as well, and Griffin Cook gets the third spot. And we've all been wondering who was going to get that third spot, and Cook was the most likely. He does land it, and Cook looked great early. Rafis and Scanlon, they took some time to get settled in, but Cook looked fast right off the bat, energized from the opening faceoff and on, scored a goal early on in the first quarter, and got really, really pumped uh, as part of that. So it was good to see Cook running around. Um, so as we say, it's great to have a number 22 on the field again, Nick Mellon rocking number 11. At first, I'm looking for Mellon and uh, couldn't find him. It's because there's a number 11 on the field and it is none other than Nick Mellon. He should have had it since he was a sophomore on, but you know, granted it was taken. So it was great seeing him running around with that number. I'm a number guy, as you can tell. Uh, right off the bat, both teams went hard. Every loose ball uh, scrap turned into a violent altercation. That was also good to see. Both goalies looked good coming up with early saves. Porter getting it done for Syracuse and whoever Denver had in their numbers didn't match their roster uh, not at least completely so it was hard to tell who was playing uh, but both of their uh, uh, fall goalies looked excellent Uh, went back and forth early both teams getting in on action I didn't keep score and keep track throughout but I do know Tucker Dordovic scored his first goal in a while and the first goal of the scrimmage uh, on a nice dodge from up top coming across sweeping across the left up top. So that was excellent to see. He played early and often, Dordovic did. He got runs with his core group, his who we expected to be the one line of mids, but he also ran with the two line of midfielders on a couple of occasions also. I'm not sure. Probably just trying to get him reps, I suspect. 
Uh, they run um, Syracuse. Let me see here. Oh, and then Denver. They go on a three-goal run after Syracuse scored first. Sam Dwindall, Jack Hanna. I love Jack Hanna. Jungle Jack Hanna and uh, Johnny Morocco. They each found the back of the net, and that made it 3-1, and then Syracuse started kind of climbing back, and it went back and forth the whole game. At one point, it was 7-7. I'll show you in the highlights as I scan up and show the scoreboard. Um, Cuse seemed to run their normal offensive sets through much of the first half. We did end up getting a glimpse of the 1-4-1 in the second half. It's possible they ran the 1-4-1 earlier on, and I had, had a, on a couple occasions had said, hey, is that the one four one hard to tell with the beers mixed in and the bull crapping with a bunch of people in the stands, but we did have definitely see one four one sets run more consistently over the course of the second half, thanks to our new offensive coordinator. So that was good. I dare say the offense looked a little bit better in the third and fourth. Also, I've never been a big fan of the Syracuse old sets because whether it was by design or just the players doing it, they seem to dodge into space a lot or not dodge into space, dodge into traffic almost as part of the offensive set, it seemed, or the players were just doing it and Desco wanted to, you know, pop their heads off like dandelions. Uh, but in the, in the, in the third quarter, fourth quarter, the offense seemed to click a little bit more from there. It just looked a little bit smoother. I think with the one, four, one sets, that's just, just how I observed it. Maybe I just, that's just wishful thinking because I feel like Syracuse hasn't been as, as, as explosive offensively, especially in six on six sets. They've been very deliberate, but I feel like they, they would turn down opportunities to score by dodging into traffic as opposed to away from it. So thought the one, four, one looked good. Syracuse midline. Talk about these guys, Curry, Dordovic and Tromboli all on their line together. And they looked pretty damn solid through the contest. Uh, all of them, I believe had two goals in the contest. I'll get down to the stats here in a little bit, but I know that, uh, I, I know, um, Curry, I know all three of them did score though, I believe. Uh, but it's going to be a rough line to stop. I mean, who do you put the pole on? Uh, do you put two poles on them? possibly because all three of them are accomplished Dodgers. All three of them can snipe from out top. That is going to be a very difficult line to contend with mixed with the Syracuse attack line because all three Syracuse attackmen are Dodgers. So when you look at that first midfield line and the first attack line for Syracuse, Scanlon, the guy wearing number 22, who was an All-American last year as a freshman, he's the guy that is probably the least accomplished Dodger on the field amongst that group. Now, maybe not once you start tying in the midfielders because Scanlon isn't a is a decent dodger at the midfield but Scanlon is an is a, an opportunistic dodger Scanlon's typically not your one dodge unless he's seeing that there's no help Scanlon typically is your two dodge you get your one dodge down an alley ball goes to x come, comes back up to him on a wing and he dodges underneath which he did in this game his first goal of the game uh, that he scored you may have already seen it the the highlights aren't going to match up with what I'm talking about here as you're if you're watching this on YouTube but he his first goal as a as a Syracuse Orangeman was him dodging from the right wing on the attack underneath his defender as I said he's very very good at very capable dodger especially at getting underneath and it was a second dodge it was the second dodge off the set where the help isn't necessarily there to get there so that's what you're going to see out of Chase Scanlon and in my interview I actually interviewed Paul Carcass yesterday and we talk a little bit about Syracuse and Scanlon and the number 22 and in that he he, he says the a similar thing and I'm not going to blow up what he says uh, I'll put that podcast out by the way tomorrow my interview with Paul Carcaterra that'll be Thursday's episode I'm coming at you a day late today because I had camera tr camera trouble yesterday. My Syracuse or my Syracuse, my computer updated and it gave me issues. So back to this though. So the second line for Syracuse though, they didn't look bad either. As I said, Dordovic got some runs with them early, but Syracuse worked a lot of midfielders in. But that second line, I think uh, it included Mangan 
uh, Lipka, and I'm not sure who else. Troy Lauder, I see he, he scored too. Um, so anyway, second line for uh, the, the, Syracuse has a really deep midfield. That's what we're going to find. Whether they end up breaking up the trio uh, in the first line to, to give both lines in, insane depth, I'm not sure what they're going to do. Maybe that was why they ran Dordovic with that second line a little bit. But either way, Syracuse easily are going to be able to put six midfielders offensively on the field that can just torch people. But that first line is going to be something special. Um, by the fourth, Syracuse still had their starting attack in, and that was where it opened up. It was 7-7. At one point, I think it was like 10-11 or maybe even 11-10 Denver. Syracuse ends up going on a run over the fourth, and they take a 15-11 to lead. Uh, one of those goals scored by Scanlon. I think another one was a behind-the-back that Cook stuck from Rafis. Uh, I think a couple of the middies got in on the action, lighting things up from outside. So Syracuse took a 15-11 lead. We start walking out of the stadium with about 4.50 or so left in the contest. By the time we got to the gate, and I think there was a P or two involved in that in that process, um, it was 15-14. Uh, we got in the car and left, probably with about a minute left, and apparently Denver scored again to tie it up. Fitting, though. Everyone's like, oh, there's no OT. There's no OT in fall ball. Denver flew all the way out here. They don't need to be going into OT to figure out, you know, just to lose a stupid fall ball scrimmage and um, and feel like shit. Not that I care about how Denver feels or Syracuse in that capacity, but no OT in fall ball. That's ridiculous. So 15-15 was fitting. Both teams uh, did a great job. Incredible turnout. More people at this game than some Division One games will see in the regular season. Certainly it could have even been more people at this game than at some Syracuse home games when and Syracuse typically fills it up pretty well for lacrosse standards Syracuse saw 11 players score Griffin Cook led the way though with a hat trick so I loved seeing that huge recruit had a decent season last year as a freshman but had a hard time getting legitimate time uh, and making it work and I felt like he was possibly a reps guy and it turns out that is accurate and he played great Brendan Curry Chase Scanlon and Jamie Jamie Tromboli each scored two goals Seabold and Libka and Mangan each had once Troy Lauder or each scored once Troy Lauder had a goal um, did I say Dordovic? I didn't put Dordovic in there, but I know Dordovic scored two goals at least because he had a sweet toe drag goal also uh, to go with his first goal of the game that was a sweep from out top. So great turnout, great game. I was glad to have been there. I did drink a handful of beers, um, but you know nothing crazy. We didn't get nuts or anything, but the tailgate was decent. Uh, Gators, there's a pub up there that we went to pregame. If you're in Cortland and you're finding looking for a pub that has good bar food, a decent atmosphere, we went to Gators before the game. It's about three to five minutes from campus or so, so that was a good place to hit. Uh, we get to other action where we get into here's where it's more of just a regular podcast, even though this is technically episode one of the Syracuse Lacrosse podcast. In other action, headstrong event at Hofstra, Lehigh murked Marist and Hofstra at Hofstra's own event. Uh, Lehigh, and that's surprising because Lehigh lost, I believe they lost their four top leading scorers. They were all listed as seniors anyway. So for them to, to murk uh, teams offensively the way they did was impressive. Apparently Tommy Schelling, he was the one that was said to have torn it up through both of his scrimmages. He'll be a sophomore in 2020 and he put up 17 goals and I think it was 13 assists uh, last year. My As a freshman, my notes say 1E assists uh that's obviously not accurate so i'm thinking it was a th he either had 17 goals and 13 or maybe 14 helpers um Rutgers and Georgetown, they went to down to the wire in a scrimmage. Hoyas getting a 16-15 win. I think that game-winning goal was scored within the last minute or so 
of the uh, of their scrimmage a, a, a bunch of a bunch of contests so i think navy had gotten beat up by somebody it's possible that marist beat up navy uh or this weekend as well and there was a bunch of other games that went on i don't i don't have them all but i wanted to throw out a couple of the scores that i'd seen when i was making these notes here all in all though syracuse they did a hell of a job denver as well uh everybody that i talked to all the coaches that we talked to they thanked the denver staff and said they did a great job with the clinic that went on beforehand so it would be awesome if they started doing something like this more consistently. This is a Cortland's alumni weekend. So if they could put something like this together more often for these types of, uh, for Syracuse, uh, it was great to be able to uh, see Syracuse play and not have to drive that extra uh, 30 to 45 minutes up to the dome. But uh, moral of the story, I had a good time. That is it. Be sure to come back tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to put up the interview with Paul Carcaterra, just a you know about a 35-minute phone interview or so, and it's not your typical um, bouncing stupid questions off, off of people and listening to him ramble. So we play a game called, I guess I wouldn't call it a game, but we do a thing where I, tell, I make him pick between two people. Uh, you know, like as if he was doing a pickup game. So he's going to pick between some players. Who would he like? Who would he take over who? Uh, we're going to do Casey and Ryan Powell, Casey and Mike Powell, a couple of midfield selections from this year. And then I do some Anish and um, Quint uh, banter with him, making him pick between those two a little bit. So it's a, it's a little bit different than your normal interview, and that was kind of the goal of it all. But he was gracious enough to, to sit down and talk to me. So be sure to come back tomorrow, Thursday. If you're watching this today, Wednesday, uh, you know, be sure to come back tomorrow, Thursday and watch the Paul Carcaterra interview, but that is it. Be sure to like subscribe, hit the notification bell. Best thing you can do for us to spread is spread the word, share the podcast with others. If you comment down below, you can get entered to win a pair of rampage lacrosse shorts. We'll probably put uh, do the drawing by episode three, five or so of the Syracuse lacrosse podcast. Uh, if you needed team gear or whatnot, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can get swag, uh, apparel, random t-shirts, shorts. Uh, we do team gear as well. So hit laxfactor.com and that is it. 